0: Good morning church gathered at Pleasant Street Church. The Lord be with you. Thank you. My name is Becky. I'm on staff here at Pleasant Street Church. I want to welcome you this morning on this very first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting and of coming. It's we've been waiting, haven't we? It's been quite a year. It seems like we're waiting for the end of this year and Now, Advent is a time when we continue to wait, but we know what's coming. We know what happened at Christmas, that Jesus came as a baby in a manger, but we are now also celebrating and waiting for Jesus' second coming. That's what we look forward to at Advent. Um, God always reveals himself in some way. God is always the one who initiates a time. God does that for us when we worship Him. It's Him that invites us to worship, even before we come. And it's the He's the one that prompts us to come. And so that's what we're going to be celebrating during this time of Advent. God's revelation to people in the Christmas story for how He comes and He initiates the, the uh, conversation with them. However, before that, I would like to give a warm thank you to the little elves that were here yesterday and putting up all these beautiful decorations uh very very hearty thanks to Erin howden and her kids to amy napper and her boys to ruth and steve herringa to kate mogan to brandis hogsma to annika bangma and to my whole family greg michaela jesse and callie who are also here so, uh, Advent is a wonderful time of getting ready, like I said. There's a lot of getting ready that needs to happen. So, uh, we hope that this space and the way that it's decorated will help you to be calm, to be quiet, to be still as we consider God coming to us and to not be afraid. Why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of preparation for prayer and for worship. Oh Lord Jesus Christ whose first coming brought joy to your waiting people. Keep us in faith and hope as we eagerly await your coming again. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit. And if you are at home, welcome. And you can rise too in body or in spirit. Like I said, God calls us to worship. He's the one that initiates it. And that's why we have a call to worship. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning. There is no no darkness with you, O Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is a steadfast love and with him is plenteous redemption. There is no darkness with you, O Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. There is no darkness with you, O oh Lord. Lord, let your light shine on us. Let's sing. Here we go. Lord, let
1: your light, light of your face, shine on us. No! The light shine on us.
0: We may be seated.
2: On this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. Waiting and expectation for the coming of Christ. Zechariah's life. A priest. Righteous in the sight of God. Childless. Very old. Then one day. Chosen by a lot. Worshippers praying. In the temple. Burning incense. An angel appears. Startled. Gripped with fear. The message. His prayers heard.
0: A promised son. A powerful prophet. A prophet to prepare the people. A prophet to preach repentance.
2: Unbelievable. Silenced. Mute for months and months. Belief growing with Elizabeth's womb. Zechariah's changed life. A priest. Repentant and righteous. A father
0: at last. Very old very joyful speaking praise to God do Do not be afraid
2: do not be afraid do Do not not be afraid afraid.
0: of what God intends to do 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 not not be be afraid afraid of what God has asked of you do Do not not be afraid afraid of what when you do not understand
1: do Do not not be afraid God is working out God's plan do Do not not be afraid Do Do not be afraid, do not be
2: afraid.
0: God calls us each by name and says, do not be afraid. We are afraid. It's been a crazy, crazy year, but God has promised to be with us. Sometimes we're waiting, sometimes things go so fast, but yet God is with us. Will you join me in a prayer of confession? Emmanuel, God with us. We confess how hard it is for us to wait. Like Zechariah, we have a hard time waiting on you, and we lose hope so quickly when it seems as though you aren't answering our prayers in the way we hope. Sometimes your timing is mysterious. Sometimes you answer our longings and our prayers in ways we have a hard time comprehending. Take away all the barriers in our lives that keep us from being able to hear you, to know you, and to love you with all our hearts. And give us ears to hear your gentle voice saying, Be not afraid. And we say together, Amen. Let's take a few moments of silent confession now. Hear these words of assurance to all who turn from sin in sorrow, to all who turn to God in hope, this is God's word of grace. We are accepted, we are forgiven, we are loved. This gift we have from God and we say together, thanks be to God. I invite you to rise again now in body or in spirit as we continue in our worship. Christ be with you. Let's share that peace with each other.
3: Each year, it seems society comes up with a buzzword to designate toward a calendar year. And I was wondering what you think that buzzword might be. Is it a year of COVID 19? as we think of the effects of it throughout the world? Or locally, is it a buzzword, the year of Zoom, where we are challenged to worship together, although separately? Or was it a year of change? Has this year been a change for you in your job, in your commute, or lack thereof, your education? of your children, a change in something might have happened to you, either positively or negatively, in life and in death, some expected and some unexpected. For me, and I hope for you, I found as I put my prayer together, the change is a year of hope, and the candle behind me represents that precious gift of hope as we start the first day of the Advent season. So good morning, my name is Jack Crawford. Welcome to guests, members, and visitors that are both present here this morning or watching us on Zoom from the comfort of your homes. I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. And during the week, the elders request prayers From you and from counsel of things that are worthy of your prayers as we go into this new week. I got a note from Keith uh, Vandenacker who asked for prayers for all the safety and well-being of those that are confined in nursing homes. Some being treated for COVID-19 including his mother whom he has not seen in weeks and who he may not see until next spring. And they are separated by bricks and mortar and glass. And sometimes those that are confined wonder why they've been abandoned by their families without knowing either through dementia or why aren't they being paid visits. And there's a need for hope there. And it's very difficult for those that are working and caring for those that deal with this every day helping those that do not see their families and have become, as a family member, treating those that are incarcerated In which we as families are locked out of those facilities. I also got a request from Sadie, our administrator, with an update on Will Lewis. Will has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and was treated in the hospital, but I found out through Deacon beth bowl that he has been discharged this past friday so we give praise for that and although will has been discharged um, his wife meredith and son will the fourth are home and being tested positive as well of course we pray for the nardone family and we thank you for those that have been keeping him in your prayers and support with your gifts and offerings. How was their Thanksgiving changed? The fire was last Sunday. Their Thanksgiving was probably much different than yours, even as ours have been affected in a minimal way. They lost their house. So we want to have you keep that family in in your prayers as well. This morning I learned that Leanne Lukianek, who is the wife of Rick, our Christian school headmaster, was hospitalized Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving. She is in the hospital and being treated for a uh, diabetic foot ulcer uh, and was operated on late Wednesday night. So uh, she will be there for a bit, so we ask you to keep her in your prayers as well. Pastor Ron advised me that Uh, Ruth and Andy DeFreeze were announced to be proud parents of a baby girl. Uh, Andy is Howard's great-great-grand nephew and niece. Is that correct? One One great. Only one (laughs) great? You can put two greats if you want. (laughs) Um, A very difficult delivery, but all is well. So we thank you for... Uh, happiness in this time of um, concern also we um, want you to give your prayers to uh, Len Wiersma who suffered the very unexpected loss of his wife um, on the 18th of November Uh, she went in for an operation and we all assume wrongly that an operation will be done well and She'll be returned home, but this was not the case. She passed away in the hospital. Services were this past uh, Friday in Florida, and Len is just um, distraught, as you would expect, not knowing where to go from here. So we ask you to hold um, that family in your prayers as well. I want to give a prayer of thanksgiving to the transition team who brought us to this point today their year and a half of hard work, much behind the scenes, but as a member of council, know what they have gone through and the end result of having Pastor Matthew here and installed last week. So we thank you for their hard work that brought us to this conclusion after much hope and much time and much prayer. So welcome to have you here. So behind me stands this candle It's the first candle that represents hope and it signifies faith in God who keeps his promise to humanity. So for my prayer, I've included words from Scripture and words from a a chaplain and writer by the name of Pamela Palmer. And the theme that you'll see is where will you find hope? And for me and for you, I hope is in Scripture. And let's turn to God in prayer. Lord, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic caught us off guard. It has shaken the stability we felt in our world in many hard ways. And it has put us all on an unknown path, living one day at a time, week to week, month to month. And perhaps through this we're battling anxiety, stress, or being trying to adjust to a new reality of how you live your life. each one of us god's word is incredibly relevant and is the source of hope encouragement and truth we can turn to in the midst of this pandemic and any hardship we will ever face we look to your word to give us this hope the psalmist says god is our refuge and strength an everlasting present for help in time of trouble Therefore, we will not fear. As you've heard this morning, we will not be afraid. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The reality is that we will face trials, we will endure pandemics, we will face many unexpected and difficult battles on a global level and in our personal lives. God knows all of this and the details of what we face. He will be with you as your help and source of strength to get you through whatever you go through. We can even let go of fear and let faith take over our biggest concerns. Jesus overcame the world so that we could have peace, hope, and faith in him. So turn your thoughts to Jesus. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, says Colossians. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We may be overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, and worry. We may constantly be thinking about the pandemic, watching the news about it, and searching the internet to find out more about covid 19. may the instruction from god's word give us new practices to direct our minds to god and his goodness love and mercy during the most difficult times whenever our minds wander to what causes us to fear or give us anxiety we can stop and instead begin to pray and give our worries over to Jesus. Matthew tells us, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. What a comfort that one of the last things Jesus wanted to tell his followers was that he would be with us to the very end of time. However lonely or isolated we feel, we can remind ourselves to meditate on God's promise that he is with us every step of the way. God is our comforter, and he is with us no matter what we are going through. Whatever happens in the coming weeks or months, we as believers are assured that we have a hiding place in the Lord and are protected by him. We can call on Jesus to help keep us safe and trust that his perfect will shall be done in our lives when we call upon him. We can turn to him in every situation to find shelter and safety. The psalmist reminds us, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. God will deliver us. This pandemic has a time limit, just like our entire troubles do. At some point, though, not known to us, this will end. And we will have learned a great deal about ourselves, our world, and hopefully have a deeper trust in the God who was with us, protected us, and delivered us. And let the congregation say, Amen.
2: Our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Luke Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 25 in the time of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named as Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months— remained in seclusion the lord has done this for me she said in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people this is the word of the lord
4: i think they left me just enough room good morning friends good morning my name is matthew and i am the new senior pastor here at pleasant street crc and i am exactly one week old so if we have not met yet uh it's good to see all of you and and i look forward to the day when when we can uh see each other and recognize faces without masks Spelunking was probably one of the best things about being a Boy Scout for me. Where I grew up, we didn't have gems and cadets, so I wore the beige and the red and the olive green uniform of a Boy Scout. Great camping trips and merit badges weren't enough to get me past first class, but it was fun while it lasted. One of my fondest memories was from a spelunking camping trip, not least of which because it gave me the reason to say the word spelunking a lot. And so one cold November weekend when I was a boy, we hiked into the woods, we set up our tents, we donned these super cool helmets with lights on them, maybe you know what I'm talking about, and we descended into the earth beneath Pennsylvania. The deeper we went, the more strange the world became. It was cold on the surface, but beneath the surface it was cold and dark. And things were both growing up from the floor and down from the ceiling. It was very strange. Sometimes we had to squeeze through very narrow passageways. We were boys and we could do it. I don't know how the big people did it. Deeper and deeper we went. After what seemed like an eternity of descent, our guide, who was leading the way, paused and he turned back toward our group. And he explained that we had reached the lowest part of the cave to which we could fit. We looked around at this narrow void of space. It was as though we were caught between two worlds, two giant slabs of stone, one from the world of the surface pushing down upon us and one slab from beneath pushing up, and there we were somehow sustained right in the middle. Our guide asked us if we would like to know what it would be like to live in this in-between space deep under the world without light. And being boys, we said, Sure. On his count, we all turned off our lights. One, two, three. Darkness, like a blanket, enveloped me. We think of dark as an absence, but somehow that kind of darkness was a presence. It was somehow thick, oppressive even. It was so dark that you could not tell if your eyes were open or closed. The dark pressed on my ears. and I found myself very eager to turn the lights back on again. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and my friends, this is an Advent story, because Advent begins in the dark. Today, we enter a different world Today, along with Christians across the centuries and around the globe, we leave behind the surface world of Christmas busy, and we enter a very different one, or perhaps I should say, we descend. We descend into a world that is waiting for something that you cannot find on Amazon, We descend into a world that is, in fact, mired in sickness and death, and where it can seem sometimes that there is no light because there is no horizon to be found. My friends, it is Advent, and Advent begins in the dark. But wait, I thought Advent was about getting excited for Christmas. I am not saying we should not have Christmas trees. Indeed, I am surrounded by them. In fact, we can't wait to get ours in our family, but we must understand that Advent is not about the present or the presence. Not really. At Advent, we we look back a long way, and we remember that Jesus came once, not as a king to crush evil, but as an infant to die on a cross for it. And at Advent, we also look ahead for Jesus' promise to return, to come back, and bring with him an entirely new world. And so, while the world around us settles into the overstuffed nostalgia for a feeling of Christmas past, we are called to be those who shake off the sleep and watch who strain our eyes for light on the horizon, for we expect nothing less than the very return of God. And that has not happened yet, and that is why Advent begins in the dark. Like watchmen waiting for the morning, we wait for God in the dark of the world around us, a world where faces are sometimes illumined only by the blue light of flashing advertisements that flicker the promise of a full life that is, in fact, fleeting. We wait in the dark with a world that has endured a year full of fright and panic and pandemic. We wait among a world full of people who have everything they need except hope. As watchmen and watchwomen, we descend into this dark, for we, if not anyone else, must grasp the depth of our predicament. We must feel it pressing upon us all. We must consider the stories and the places where hope has been all but snuffed out. And so Advent begins in the dark. And how fitting then that Luke's gospel should begin also in the dark, or rather the very dim light of an old priest offering his prayers alone while the people wait anxiously for his return. Luke has quite a story to tell. If you have not read the gospel of Luke in its entirety, it is full of the good news about Jesus. This is the biggest and the best story that there is, and Luke has set out ambitiously to write his own account of it. One Bible scholar calls the gospel of Luke the gospel of knowing for sure. I love that. Luke says in the very beginning, in those first verses we missed, he says that he wants Theophilus, and he wants us, too, to know for sure that Jesus is who he said he is, and that is a tall order indeed. And yet, for such a grand aspiration, Luke doesn't start his story with grand ideas at all. No, instead, the story opens on a small-town couple, a priest his wife, descendants of Aaron himself, and we are told two very important things about him. Luke is very careful with his introductions, and he tells us two things. They are righteous people, and they are a couple who has learned over a long marriage to carry the disappointment and the grief of barrenness. Oh, friends, please don't miss that. This good news about Jesus, this gospel of knowing for sure, begins in the dark of a single priest in the most holy room, in the most holy building, in the most holy city there is, at least from the rabbi's point of view. And as bright as the story should be, it's rather quiet, and the light is dim, not just dim, though, fading because Zechariah has come to offer prayers on behalf of a people who have not heard from God in a long time. It has been 400 years since there was a prophet in Israel, and without a prophet, there is no word from the Lord, and without a word from the Lord, there is really no hope at all. And Herod is on the throne, Luke tells us. And sure, he's done a few good things for Jerusalem, but a king in the line of David, he is not, not by a long shot. Herod rebuilt a beautiful temple, and in public, everyone marvels at it. Have you seen the temple? You've got to see the temple. But under their breath, many wonder, at what cost? At what cost? They say Herod murdered his son out of paranoia. In fact, everything he does seems to be stained with blood. Just like the emperor, he represents Caesar. It is the time of Herod, and Caesar rules the world, and in Israel, the God of the universe is silent. And in a way, Zechariah's own life is not so dissimilar from that of Israel's, is it? I mean, he is an old, faithful priest, but with no discernible future. He is carrying prayers on behalf of a people in what is starting to seem like a one-sided conversation. And we cannot help but wonder if it seems like God has been just as silent in Zachariah's life too. How many prayers, we wonder, how many times has he led the congregation while quietly adding his own. Lord God, please, we would like a child. But years go by, and the child never appears, and Elizabeth bears nothing but the scorn of women who look at her with pity and thankfulness. Zechariah does what is asked of him, he rotates on, he leads the prayers, he cares for the temple, he goes home. Year after year after year, each passing year, the hope for them fades a little more, until it becomes clear that the answer is No. Because one day Elizabeth is just too old, and so is Zechariah, and hope is all but snuffed out. We should notice that this does not make Zechariah unfaithful. Zechariah is a priest from Aaron himself. He is a righteous guy. And friends, sometimes carrying out faithfulness in the ordinary rhythms is all that we have left, too. Life has a way of making it feel like the best days really are behind you. With the people behind him, though, Zachariah enters the room, and there stands Zachariah as close as a human being can possibly get to the presence of God himself. And yet he doesn't know what to do when God shows up there. It is one thing to enter a space where God is present, It is quite another to discover his presence there, waiting for you, by name, Zechariah. Zechariah, an angel steps from the shadow, not, not a cherub, mind you, from a Hallmark card. This is Gabriel, the warrior. This is Gabriel, who only ever shows up with very serious and very good news. As Fleming Rutledge, one of my favorite Advent preachers, reminds us, when angels appear, it means that the kingdom of God has erupted into this earthly orb. No wonder angels appear bearing the words, Do not be afraid. For not only does this divine warrior appear from behind the altar, surprising Zechariah, but he crackles with the very holy reality of God's presence. And And it is like someone has turned on all of the lights in the dark room. All at the same time, Zechariah is bombarded with this overwhelming good news. Good news from God, Zechariah, a vision for you from God, Zechariah, a visitation. Zechariah, the angel who was last seen helping Daniel interpret a dream in Babylon, is in the room with him. This room with Zechariah, Zechariah, and he knows his name, Zechariah, do not be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. You shall have a son, and not just any son, but you shall bear the child that will prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah. He is the one who will level the hills and fill the valleys, who will make a highway for God in the middle of the desert. And Gabriel says his name will be John, but Zechariah knows he's talking about Elijah. Gabriel quotes the very last words spoken by the last prophet in Israel from 400 years previous. No wonder Zechariah is incredulous. No wonder he wants to be sure. How can I know? How can I be sure, he asks. In the Gospel of Luke, response is key. How we respond to God in our lives is really important to Luke. Mary is the model of response. We'll get to that next week. But Zechariah is the reality for most of us. How can I be sure? How will I know? The incredulity of the message isn't lost on Zechariah, nor on us. We know what it is to live in a dimly lit world where politicians change, but the world never really seems to where the bright promise of a young life gradually turns to the dim flicker of what never was and what can't be anymore. We know how hope gets snuffed out. Years ago, an elderly woman, a longtime member of the Christian faithful, was nearing the end of her own life, and she gave me the great honor of letting me be her pastor for a brief time in seminary, and one time she gave me the great gift of telling me her own questions, and she confided in me this. She said, with all the problems in the world, the millions of sick people, the famines and wars and disasters going on, sinners to judge, and the suffering to comfort, not to mention God's intense interest in spreading the gospel, I'm not sure God has time for me anymore. You nor I could have said it better ourselves. Like Zechariah, sometimes our lives feel barren. Like Israel, we know what it is to hope for something that seems like it is stacked against you in the deck. Like Zechariah and Israel, we know what it is to be left shrinking and graying, wondering if God still acts, still speaks, still keeps his promises. Our lives go the same way. They descend into growing darkness of hopes dashed or unfulfilled. In truth, some of us descend more rapidly than others, but we all go the same direction. Again, I have loved how Fleming Rutledge describes something like this, how how hope gets snuffed out. She said it like this. Some of you here today are young and full of the promise of life. Your dreams are still alive. God rest you, Mary, and I mean that with all sincerity. Others of you are middle-aged, but perhaps still deceived into thinking that it doesn't get any better than my own version of the good life. More power to you. Sooner or later, though, every person here in this church today will find himself or herself following one of two interpretations of life. Either you will come to a point where it will be clear that your life is full of disappointment, or you will settle into a pattern of denial, bluster, and false optimism. Those things can appear to give light, and you can fool yourself for quite a while, but the fact is that they are part of a false past where we can only brood over the loss of a childhood that never was. Friends, Advent begins in the dark, per. Perhaps today you find yourself there already, living in the valley of the shadow of death, beneath the surface under a weight of stress, hanging out among tombs. Perhaps for some of us, it is not just dark during the beginning of Advent, because some of us live there. Those of us who live in that place, we know the temptation to bitterness. We know that you could say, there's no such thing as light. Got to make your own light. We also know that that is precious little comfort. Likewise, we know how flimsy a fabricated joy can be. Nobody needs a wind up flashlight in a cave. What we want is light in the darkness. What we want is a way out. What we know instinctively is that the only hope that will do is a hope that comes from somewhere else. For Zachariah, hope is all but snuffed out. But thanks be to God, my friends, that puts him in just exactly the right place for a light to shine upon him. And Zechariah is one in a long line of people who receive light from God in the darkness. Gabriel lights up the room with bright, brilliant promises from God to Zechariah by name. Zechariah says, how can I be sure? Where is the proof? Hope, Gabriel, you have to understand is a tired, fragile, dying thing. So give me something I can hold on to, something I can be sure of. And the angel Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God as though that should be enough because Gabriel does not lie. Gabriel says and does only what God wants. But it isn't enough for this old faithful man. And so Zachariah is made mute. He is given God's immense promises shining upon him, and then he's given time to think about it. We must be careful not to see Zechariah's muteness as condemnation. To bring a question to God is a normal response to God. Mary does the same, though her question comes from a different place. Zechariah is unable to believe the promise. His question comes born of fear and a life in the dim light. But his unbelieving question is not punished. It is discipled. God gives silence to Zechariah, and irony that it is, that is an answer. God gives Zechariah what he asks for. God gives Zechariah a sign, and the beautiful, brilliant witness of Scripture, he becomes the sign. Just as John the Baptist will be the one who points. As a signpost to the Lamb of God, so Zechariah's closed mouth becomes the signpost to the wondrous birth of his prophet son John. In other words, silence gets Zachariah ready for John, and John will get the people ready for God. And while Zechariah is silent, something very important is happening, though we won't see it for a while. Because while Zechariah is silent, the light of hope begins to grow inside of him. Just as a baby is growing in the dark and quiet of Elizabeth's womb, and for five months, no one will see or know except for her. Because God uses silence, my friends. God moves in the dark. God grows hope where it seems that there's nothing. God brings light where there is only darkness. Zachariah, do not be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. Jen Pollock-Michael is a woman who um, writes often for Christianity Today, and she's also written a couple of books. And in one of her books, she recounts a story that she read in Mary Carr's memoir. It was about Mary Carr's journey to faith, and it would not be... Uh, the most pious reading you would do this Advent if you were to read it. Uh, And it's about Carr's very first attempt at prayer Uh, during her own dark journey toward sanity and sobriety. Carr was trying to figure this God stuff out and and everyone in her life, it seemed, was telling her to pray, which she insisted I cannot do because I don't even believe in God. And friends say, well, pray anyway. Yield up what scares you yield up what makes you want to scream or to cry and enter into that quiet because it's a cathedral. That's what they said. And she didn't understand, and so she asked, how does getting on your knees do anything for you? And they said, it makes you the right size. Well, one day, Mary finally does take up the suggestion to pray but it's not until it gets really dark in her life. It's after she's checked herself into a mental hospital, in fact, because she's just abandoned a plan to widow her husband and to orphan her son. And in the hospital, she writes, I have this sudden overwhelming urge to kneel. And so I tiptoe to the bathroom and bend onto the cold tiles And there in the languishing dark, in the sterilized silence of that bathroom floor, she prays, thanks, whoever you are, for keeping me sober. Light in the dark. And in the story, that light would begin to grow until she comes to a place where she understands with the light of revelation who this God is who saved her. And so later in her memoir, when Carr is trying to describe her conversion and meeting this God, she reaches for the brilliant, illuminating words of none other than Augustine. You called and cried to me to break open my deafness, and you sent forth your beams, and you shone upon me and chased away my blindness." You breathe fragrance upon me, and I drew my breath, and now I do pant for you. Carr is saying that it was in the dark, dead deafness of her own life where she did not find God out and find a way out of the cave, but the God whom she knows came and found her. And it was in that darkness, in that silence, that God did his most important work of drawing her to himself. And it is in the pitch black of hopelessness that God breathes out hope and light for us. Brothers and sisters, silence is not absence. Dark is not abandonment. Sometimes those are the places where God does his best. Brothers and sisters, it is Advent, and Advent begins in the dark where might that might be exactly where you are today. And the good news is that in the days that are dark and silent, God sees us on our knees. We are people in fact in a long line of those who have found hope in the last place we would have ever expect it to look. Because after all, that is why God came, to be light that comes into the darkness. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overwhelm it. The light comes to us. Jesus comes to us to light the way, to come even closer still, to dwell within us, even in the dark. And when we do not have the words and cannot find the way, When it is only silent, it is the very Spirit of God that whispers hope and lights our hearts. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. But then again, you don't have to take my word for it. Go ask Zachariah. He can speak now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? For you, O God, our souls in stillness wait we confess to you as we come together this morning that while the pace in the world around us is ramping up, it is hard to chart a different course and to slow down and to be silent. We are used to leaving the house full of noise, to the car with the radio on, to out of the car to the office with conversation, to leaving the office on the phone, to coming home, to more noise. And silence is a strange strange thing. We are not used to it, and for some of us, we do not like it at all. And so in faith, trusting you, we come to you asking that you would make us quiet, that you would move in the places where we cannot expect to find you, you would come to us with bright, brilliant, illuminating hope that it would work its way into our hearts and our souls and that it would grow. That with the eyes of faith, you would give us new eyes to see the world around us. That even in the dark, you are here. You are moving among us. We pray all of this, trusting that it is possible even more than we can believe what we say so we pray this in jesus name amen friends as we continue and start our advent journey together um i was thinking about this series and there's a song that's become very dear to me in the last couple of years and i wanted to know if we could practice it, learn it and teach it uh learn it together and sing it together this morning would that be all right i'd like to sing it for you the The worship team and I are going to lead you in this song, and so please rise in body or in spirit as you're able, and join us as we sing, Come Holy Ghost.
0: Let's remain standing. Just a reminder that this is a time when it's our turn to give back to the Lord, and uh, so your morning offerings can be received in the box outside in the fellowship hall. Let's stay standing for our benediction.
4: Brothers and sisters, the God who uh, brings us together this morning, whether it seems like this is the first place you wanted to be or the last one, Uh, the same God who brought us here together this morning is the God who promises to go with us through this Advent journey. It's the same God who sends us out blessed, the light of his own face shining upon us, turned toward us. Hear hear this uh, benediction, it comes from various parts of the scripture. Friends, the same voice that speaks over the waters and calls us to follow and obey, the same voice that promises, I am your God, you are my people, the same voice that spoke, this is my beloved Son, now blesses you with peace. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And friends, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Friends, we come in. Let's go out singing together.
0: in peace.